Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Amen. Once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church. So good to have you here this morning. How many of you are glad you made it? Really appreciate you making the sacrifice. I know when you got up and you looked outside, you saw the ice, you thought about it, but you persevered. And I'm really proud of you, so thank you for doing that. As Sean already mentioned, uh, last Sunday I started a brand new first of the year series entitled 2020 Vision. And the goal of this series is, encur- is to encourage you to make this year count to really put in the time and present yourself before the Lord, asking God to open your heart and help you to let go of a few things that may have held you back in years past, and also to finally let go of some secrets and some strongholds that have been lingering around in your life. And in the process, make Jesus the Lord of your life, not just your God, but your Lord and your God. And last Sunday, during the introductory lesson, I read a passage of scripture from the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. That's going to be our theme passage for the entire series. Let's review it again this morning. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Paul writing said, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, one thing I've accomplished, Paul said, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And all of you who are mature, how many of of you am I talking to here? You know, I really believe you when you raise your hand because the mature, the spiritually mature would show up on a day like this. Not that the others aren't, but that you really are. And this message, I believe, is for the spiritually mature. And and I really sense that God wants to do something deep in our hearts. And so again, I I just encourage you to remain open, accept the appeal that Sean made earlier to believe that God's going to do something great in your life. All of you who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Okay, last Sunday I put forth a challenge. I said, if this year we're going to have a 2020 spiritual vision, and now I mean a, a year that's going to count, then the very first activity that we need to participate in is to let bygones be bygones. In other words, once and for all, to let go of the past and get that behind you. And I gave you a direct quote last Sunday from T.D. Jakes. T.D. Jakes says, you will never achieve your spiritual destiny, all that God has for you, if you continue to focus in on your past history. And we all have one, no exceptions. We've all made bad choices. We've all messed up relationships. We've all failed God in one way or another. And the devil's always trying to get us to lock into a mistake and miscue mentality. 
But when you do that, when you hold on to the past, that will prevent you from experiencing joy and victory for the future. Now, in Genesis chapter 2, the Bible tells us that God created Adam and Eve. And after he created them, he prepared this absolutely beautiful paradise garden for them to live in. And, and now I'm talking about a garden with perfect weather, like Florida, with no hurricanes, you know, no threat of rain or ice or high humidity. I mean, could you imagine sunshine and warmth 365 days of the year? That was their paradise. And with regard to the paradise living, God gave Adam and Eve one commandment. That's it, just one. He gave us ten. But he only gave them one. And he said, there's a tree in the middle of the garden. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I want you to stay away from that tree. Do you remember what happened? Adam and Eve blew it. They disobeyed God. They broke the commandment that God had given to them. They ate the fruit from the tree. And as a result, God had to remove them from the garden. Here's what it says in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 23. And the Lord banished Adam from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. Talk about a double whammy. Not only is he kicked out of paradise, but now he has to produce his own fruits and vegetables. Now Adam and Eve have to come up with their own food. I don't know how vivid your imagination is, but on day one of their eviction, when Adam's plowing the ground and planting the seed and maybe sweating for the first time in his life, I can envision Adam smacking himself in the head and saying, you idiot, what were you thinking? You had it all. You had it made. And you blew it. And the devil who enticed Adam and Eve to sin in the first place was steadily in their ear whispering guilt and condemnation. And friends, that's basically how it was for years and years and years. God's people filled with shame and filled with condemnation and filled with guilt until a man by the name of Paul received forgiveness for all of his murderous indiscretions, including the stoning, the cold-blooded killing of a beautiful man by the name of Stephen. And in Romans chapter 8, in verse 1, after Paul received forgiveness for that kind of mistake, he said, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. In other words, Paul said, you have to get the past beyond you. You have to trust in the mercy and in the grace of God to give you forgiveness and to release you from the past. Now, that was all lesson number one review. So if you were missing last week, didn't make it here for one reason or another, you're all caught up. Today I want to look at the second part of the instruction that Paul gives to us in the Philippians 3 passage. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul said, forgetting what's behind. That's first. After I've done that, 
I press on toward the goal to win the prize that God has for me. See, here Paul says, once you have effectively put the past behind you, there is another level. Please understand, it's not enough to forgive yourself and others of their wrongdoing and their mistakes and your mistakes. It's not enough to forgive people of that. You have to take the next step, which is to press on and to continue to pursue the Lord with all of your heart. Paul says, it's a step in the right direction. When you can get the past behind you, when you can let go of some things, when other people offend you and other people do some things wrong to you, and you can get past that, that's a great thing. But you can't stop there. You have to press on in God. You have to continue to serve the Lord with all of your heart. And the only way that you can do that is to experience Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Not just your Savior, not just the one who went to the cross and died for your sins, but your Lord as well. We're talking about the one who calls the shots in your life, the one who's in control of all things. The one you surrender and submit your life to. This is what Paul was talking about when he says, I press on. I strain toward what's ahead. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 36, it was Peter who said, God has made this Jesus that you've crucified both Lord and Christ. That's who Jesus is. He's Lord and Christ. He's Savior and Lord. Now, the statement I'm about to make may come as a surprise to some of you, and some others might not even agree with me. But from my perspective, there are many, many believers today who never press on to experience the Jesus' Lord peace. I'm going to say that again. There are many, many believers today who never follow the second instructions in Philippians chapter 3. They're able to forgive themselves, they're able to forgive others, which is good. I spent a whole week talking about that. But they never get to the point where they press on and make Jesus the Lord of their lives. Now he becomes their savior, and they acknowledge the need for them to confess their sins and to come under conviction and bow their knee at the cross and accept the gospel message and get saved. But the same group of people, those who can identify Jesus as Lord, they never seem to grasp, I mean, a Savior, they never seem to grasp his Lordship. They don't fully understand the emphasis in the Scripture when it comes to Jesus being Lord. And Paul makes a big deal about that in Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. And we're going to read that in just a, a minute, but I, I'm going to ask you to pay attention now. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the spotlight on Jesus. And as much as uh, it's in my heart, uh, from every human aspect to try and communicate to you his lordship and how much he means to me, I'm praying that you will receive from the anointing of the Holy Spirit who Jesus is. He is Savior and Lord. He's not just the one who went to the cross and died for the sins of the world. 
He wants to be the God in your life that helps you in every situation that will get you to the place where you can fulfill your spiritual destiny. And so he writes this incredible description of Jesus in the book of Colossians, beginning with uh, chapter 1 and verse 15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, by who? By Jesus, yep, by him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him, who's him? And for him, who's him? All things have been created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. Do you see that? Who's the head of the church? Jesus is the head of the church. Not just this church, every church. He's in control of the church of Jesus Christ. This church has never belonged to me or to my family or anyone else. Thankfully, God is the one who provided the vision for this church. He's the one who called it into existence. He, by his grace, brought some people together, some leaders, and we just answered the call. We were available. And then now he's assembled a tremendous group of loving believers. But Jesus is in control. It's his church. And Colossians 1.18 goes on to say, he's the head of the body of the church so that in everything he might have the supremacy. The New Living Translation says that he might be first in all things. Jesus is the head of the church so that he might be first in all things. Sound familiar? It's one of our core values here. God deserves to be first. If Jesus is going to be first... If he's the head of the church, and if he's Lord and Savior, which the scripture says he is, then who should be calling the shots of your life? You? No, him. Jesus should be intricately involved in every decision you make. And friends, that's 2020 vision. That's having a spiritual 2020 vision, is understanding that Jesus is both Lord and and Savior, not just Savior. Now, just so there's no confusion over the names of God, Colossians 1.15 says, and we just read it, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Say that. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The word in the Greek that Paul uses here is icon, E-I-K-O-N. It's where we get our English word I-C-O-N, image. It's the same word that Jesus used when he grabbed the Roman coin and he asked the people, whose image is this on the coin, referring to Caesar? Now, in those days, it was very rare that anyone would have come into contact with Caesar or seen him or got to know him face to face. But by looking at that coin and looking at that image, they could tell exactly what Caesar looked like. The scripture tells us, and we know this to be true, God is invisible. He's hidden from our eyes. We don't see him. Some people have visions, but most of us, we don't see God. But Jesus was seen. And the scripture tells us Jesus is the very image of God. In John chapter 14 and verse 9, Jesus said, When you see me, 
It's like you've seen God the Father. In fact, earlier in his teachings, he said the Father and I are what? We're one. Hebrews 1.3 also says Jesus is the exact representation of God. He's the radiance of God's glory. And here in the opening verses of Colossians, the description that Paul provides for us of Jesus Christ is one of the most prominent and profound representations we have of Jesus anywhere in the scripture. He is the exalted Christ. He's the sovereign one. He reigns supreme above all else. Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 and 10 says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him, where? To the highest place. And has given him, Jesus, a name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. He's what? He's Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's who Jesus is. He's Lord. And those of you who've been around a while, you know I love that passage. Can't remember when I quoted it last, but during the early days of Community Christian Church, I could barely get through a service without quoting it. Because the Lordship side of Jesus is fully embedded in my heart. Do I appreciate the fact that he's my savior? Oh, absolutely. I'm so thankful he went to the cross and died there for my sins. The sacrifice he made there, he made for me. Not just for the whole world, he made that sacrifice for me. And as Jesus, as savior, I know that he loves me. But that's only part of it. The scripture declares the lordship of Jesus Christ. And that's where we can fully entrust him to lead us and guide us and to be available for us and to provide all of what we need. When you only see him as Savior and not Lord, that's when you have a tendency to keep asking for things. Over and over again, all of your prayers are needs related. What can God do for me? What can Jesus do for me? As Savior, you're just always asking for things. But as Lord, you're giving some things back. And you're understanding that God has a plan for your life and he wants to lead you and he wants to meet your need. And when the going gets rough and you're walking through tough times, he'll be there for you. He is the way maker. He is the miracle worker. He's always at work in your life. That's lordship living. You only see that when you acknowledge him as Lord. And so the lordship side of my relationship with Jesus is deeply embedded in my heart because I know according to these passages that I just shared with you in Colossians and in Philippians, one day, every single person on the face of the whole earth is going to declare Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords. That's what the scripture says. One day it's going to happen. Everyone. And for the people that I love and the people that I care about, I want that to happen. I want them to confess Jesus in the living years. When it counts, when they're here on this earth. Because the scripture tells us that when people die in their sins, when they go to the grave without making a commitment to the, Lord, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, when they don't understand him, they're subject to the judgment. And I don't know about you, 
but just the thought of my loving family members and close friends having to endure an eternity without God, not obtaining the promise of heaven, it breaks my heart. And friends, that should bother us. It should bother us a lot. More than whether or not your, your phone is working the way it should. You see, that's lordship living. That's having a burden that can only come through a lordship relationship with Jesus. And it should compel us to get on our knees and to spend time in prayer and to appeal and intercede on behalf of all of those who have rejected the gospel message, especially the people we know and love, to have that kind of a burden. Jeremiah was that kind of a guy. He was referred to as the weeping prophet. He had a heavy burden for the people. He wrote the book of Lamentations. Lamentations means a passionate expression of grief. And here's what he wrote in Lamentations chapter 2 and verse 11. My eyes fail from weeping. I am in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed Children and infants faint in the streets of the city. And if you can get that picture in your mind, according to the research in the spirit realm, this is our generation. This is what's happening in the spirit realm. People are being destroyed for no faith. And so as a part of our 2020 church vision, what we have planned for this year, what I'd like to do is place an emphasis on the unsaved. I'd like to go after the unbeliever. And before you think a statement like that means that we're going to make wholesale changes and become one of those churches, please believe that we have always had a burden for the lost since day one. God has always put in our hearts a desire to see lives changed and transformed by the gospel message. And over the past couple of weeks, not only during this last week of prayer and fasting, but even the weeks leading up to the new year, whenever I would spend any amount of time in prayer about the new year, it was as if the Spirit of the Lord would say to me, Tony, make that a top priority again. As you press on in Christ this year, pray that God would open the eyes of your heart and give you a divine burden for the lost. I kept hearing that over and over again. And the one verse that keeps coming up is Colossians 4.5. Colossians 4.5 says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders and make the most of every opportunity. The New Living Translation in that verse calls outsiders unbelievers. So live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. You see, Paul the Apostle, the guy who wrote the book of Colossians, he was an apostle to the Gentiles. That's, that was his assignment. That's who God sent him to, to go after those who didn't have a faith. Now, he, he ministered to others, but that was his main focus. He planted churches. He was a missionary. He was uh, sent to the unsaved. That's the exact same group of people God wants us to reach out to today. And it was Jesus who commissioned us 
to preach a grace-filled, seasoned with salt gospel to those kinds of people. And so I think that the church today has to do a much better job in our ministry to the outsider. We have to gain this burden, the burden that Jeremiah had. And now I'm talking about people that are messed up. Not just, you know, some of our friends who are backslidden or are living in a compromised situation. Maybe they've missed a couple church, uh, weeks of church. They been, haven't been to church in a, a few months. Not just that group of people. I'm talking about the people most of us don't want to be around. It's time for us to invite and to welcome and carry, if need be, kicking and screaming that group of people to the church. And that you missed your chance to applaud because that's the word of the Lord. It's time, friends. It's time for us to realize that, the, that, that it's short. What we're facing, life is so quick. It, it's, it just is here today and it's gone tomorrow. We've learned that here the last couple of weeks. And we have to start understanding what is important. And I pray that you're picking up the burden of the Spirit this morning. That God wants us to focus in on the commission that we have to get this gospel message out to people who don't have it. Now, back in December of last year, one of the goals we had for our Christmas service was to pack the place out, and we appealed to you to do that. We, we asked you to pray about it. We asked you to invite some people and, and do your best to get them here and, because we wanted every seat filled. We wanted a full house, and we almost got there. I mean, there was a couple of empty seats, but the place was packed out. And that's what we want for this year, whenever it's not snowing or icing. We want there to be a full house every Sunday we meet during 2020. That's what we're praying about. That's what we're going after. And all it takes is for a couple of people to get saved and to turn their lives around. That's all it takes. We start getting a few un unbelievers saved here, and we're going to get fired up. Now, last, last Sunday during the first message of the year, after the service, during the reflection time, four people raised their hand for salvation. We had one more respond listening to the podcast. That's exciting. That means the Spirit is moving. And when people start getting saved, the rest of the church starts to get involved. When there is a salvation anointing going on, and people are raising their hands and things are getting done, it gets exciting. If you don't believe me, read through the book of Acts. Even if you do believe me, read through the book of Acts. And you'll find that the early church went ballistic in a good way every single time a Gentile responded favorably to the gospel message and got saved. That's where their excitement came from. It was watching God move among them and adding numbers to their congregation every day, every week. We have to start with a burden for the unsaved. Those who are lost, those who don't have a relationship with Jesus. This should bother us. Now, as I begin to wind down, I want to just share one final passage with you. It's from the book of Acts. And just before we read this verse together, I want to give you the backstory. Forty days after the resurrection, 
So 40 days after the first Easter, the Bible tells us that Jesus was taken up into heaven. I mean, he justified gravity and went up. One minute he was talking to his disciples, the next minute he disappeared behind the clouds. And 10 days after Jesus returned to his throne in heaven, that's when the Holy Spirit of God came down, just like Jesus said he would. And that Holy Spirit baptized the disciples, all those that were following Jesus at the time. And on that day, the day of Pentecost, Simon Peter preached his first message, and a bunch of people got saved. And for a while, Peter and the rest of the apostles, they thought that the gospel message of Jesus Christ was for the Jewish people only. That's what they thought. And keep in mind that at that time, from a religious standpoint, there were really only two kinds of people, Jews and Gentiles. And even though Jesus had ministered to whoever crossed his path during his three and a half years of earthly ministry, he, by his own admission, said, I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So the apostles, the, 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 12, the 11 disciples, they were following what they believed to be the mission that Jesus gave to them, to try and get Jewish people to understand that the one that they rejected and crucified was in fact the Messiah. So they went to the Jewish synagogues and they went to their little communities in their circles and they preached the gospel message to Jewish people. And the, many of them got saved. In fact, thousands of them got saved and they joined themselves with the first century church. All Jewish people. Well, about 10 or 12 years after that move of God there on the day of Pentecost. A man by the name of Cornelius was praying one day, and Cornelius just happened to be an Italian guy. And during his prayer time, he had a vision. And as a part of the vision, an angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Cornelius, what I want you to do is send some men to Joppa, and I want you to find a guy by the name of Simon Peter and bring him back here. So Cornelius, doing what the angel told him to do, sent his guys, they found uh, Peter, they hunted him down, they brought him back to Caesarea. And when Peter walked into Cornelius' house, it wasn't empty. It was filled with all of his Goomba friends. I mean, all of his nephews and all of his brothers and sisters, all the Anthonys, all the Dominics, all the Giuseppes. He went out and brought everybody from the east side that he could possibly find, and he packed them into his house. That's how serious he was. Peter walked into a full house, and Cornelius had no idea what God was up to. He just knew he had to get his family members and his friends there. Now, when Peter walked in, he thought it was kind of a strange thing for God to send him to Cornelius. I mean, after all, he's Italian. He's not Jewish. But Peter just went with the flow. And he preached the gospel message, the same one he had been preaching for the last 12 years. And guess what? The Italians bought in. They got saved. They accepted the gospel message and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And for the first time in the history of the first century church, Peter realized that the gospel wasn't just for the, Gent for the Jewish people, it was for the Gentiles as well. In fact, it's for whosoever. That's what John 3.16 says. Whosoever will believe. So what does Peter do? He makes a beeline back to Joppa. 
gathers together all of the religious leaders and all of the apostles and begins to tell them what happened, that he was preaching to a bunch of Gentiles and the Holy Spirit of God came down and baptized them. Paul raised his hand and said, you know what? In my travels, I experienced pretty much the same thing. And it appears as though God is opening the door of faith and salvation to the Gentiles. Now, I tell you that story and, and, and you've read it, uh, and probably know it, but how many of you understand? That was a pretty sizable revelation. That changed everything. And thankfully, some of the disciples and some of the leaders bought into the idea that salvation wasn't just for the Jewish people. It was for everyone. Did you know that they had some others that uh, challenged it? There were some other Christian leaders who did not agree with it. In fact, they thought there is no way that these depraved people called Gentiles should be on the receiving end of such a wonderful and graceful gospel like the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the thought of Gentile people sitting in the same church and attending the same church as the Jewish people, God's covenant chosen people, created a whole lot of controversy and division. You see, sometimes we forget what our lives were like B.C., before Christ, before God's had a chance to clean us up. We forget about those things. And so there was a struggle taking place in the early church about what to do with the Gentiles. And after they decided that maybe salvation was for them as well, uh, some of the church leaders began to put heavy burdens on the Gentiles. Made them jump through a bunch of religious hoops, get circumcised, attend all the religious holidays and the new moon festivals. Made them memorize the law of Moses, all 613 laws backwards. Just kidding on that one. But you get the point. Made them do a bunch of things. And again, it was Peter who brought the team together. He brought the leaders together, what was called the Jew Jerusalem Council. And they were talking about this thing. They were talking about what are we going to do with the Gentiles, the people that we didn't think were going to get saved, but now they're getting saved. And it was James, the half-brother of Jesus, that stood to his feet. And if there was anyone who could relate to the outsider, it was James. Because for a while, he was on the outside looking in because he did not believe his brother was the Messiah. Didn't believe that until after the resurrection. And in a very critical moment in history, James makes a statement in Acts chapter, five, in Acts chapter 15 and verse 19, and here's what he says. This is the verse I wanted to get to. It took me a little while. James said, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. What a statement. What insight. What revelation from the heart of God that we should not make it difficult for, Jew, for, for Gentiles who are turning to God. Friends, there are no shortcuts to salvation. Not for anyone, not for Jews, not for Gentiles. There's only one way to come to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 gives it to us. 
If you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's the formula. That's the equation for everyone. And that should be the message of the church. That should be our gospel message. And in an effort to remove the roadblocks and not make it difficult for unbelievers who are attempting to find God, we have to show them the beauty of Jesus. Not our judgment, not our opinions, not what we think. We have to be willing to communicate to them and articulate to them that Jesus is both Savior and Lord. Savior and Lord. And the way that you do that, you start with Colossians 1, 15 through 18. You put the spotlight on Jesus. See, it's not about us. It's about him. It's not what we think. It's not whether we would like to sit next to somebody who smells really bad or needs to get their act together or is way out there in their thinking. Our ministry to them has to be to show them the beauty of Jesus. And it starts with Colossians 1, 15 through 18. He, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him, and he is before all things. In him all things hold together, and Jesus is the head of the body of the church, so that he might be first in all things. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, I believe this to be a holy moment right now. I sense, Lord, that you're moving in our hearts. And it was not at all what I had to say. But it's the truth of the scripture. It's your presence and power and anointing that floods into our hearts and makes changes. And Holy Spirit of God, we are not relying upon words that have been put together to form sentences and thoughts. We're relying upon your power to change the way we think. To clear up our blurred vision. To give us focus this year, Lord. 2020. A year of change. A year, Lord God, different than any other year. And it starts by just responding to moments like this where we could hear your voice and make these necessary changes. I pray, God, in these closing minutes, as we focus our attention on you, and we sang this song earlier in the worship set, Lord, I believe it's going to have new meaning. It'll take on new meaning as we sing it as a closing song. Just minister and bless your people, Lord. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. 
For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.